Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is how brain working recursive therapy can help manage bipolar disorder. My guest is Dr. Elisa Mekko, clinical psychologist from Johannesburg. Welcome, Elisa. Thank you, Mariette. It's nice to be here. Just for our listeners, after our conversation, Elisa will give us her three best tips for a better life, and then it will be fun question time. Elisa, not all of us know exactly what bipolar disorder entails. Could you describe the condition? Of course. Bipolar is a mood disorder, and a mood disorder is a pattern of illness due to an abnormal mood. So bipolar mood disorder is characterized by depressive and manic or hypomanic episodes. About 25% of patients with mood disorders experience at least one manic or hypomanic episode. The bipolar mood disorder has definite subtypes. There is the bipolar one, where there are depressive episodes and at least one manic episode. Bipolar two, where there are also depressive episodes and at least one hypomanic episode. And then you can include in the category also the cyclotemic disorder, uh, which is characterized by repeated mood swings, but not severe enough to meet the criteria for depressive or hypomanic episodes. Uh, a depressive disorder, I think, is something that everybody more or less knows, but is characterized by, of course, a depressed mood, a negative and pessimistic vision of the world and uh, views of the future. So there are these negative thoughts. Uh, reduced activity and energy, often fatigue, difficulty concentrating, sometimes there may be brain fog, reduced self-esteem and self-confidence, anhedonia, that means not enjoying activities that are normally pleasurable and enjoyable, ideas of guilt and unworthiness, ideas of self-harm and suicide, Disturbed sleep, the sleep may be at times difficult, people don't fall asleep or wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall asleep again. Or sometimes there is hypersomnia, people sleep exaggerated amounts of time and can't get up in the morning. Normally diminished appetite, but some people also eat more when they are depressed to try to compensate. Manic episodes are something that people may not have actually encountered. Uh, They are characterized by an elevated mood, excitability, increased energy, overactivity, sometimes irritability and agitation. Actually, quite often people manifest these symptoms more than others, especially men. Decreased need for sleep. People say they are perfectly fine and they are refreshed and rested after just a few hours of sleep and they seem to want to do things in their life and not waste time sleeping. Uh, 
Often there are ideas of grandiosity, over-optimism, poor judgment, impulsive behaviors, especially in the field of spending money. People go on spending sprees, shopping, uh, online shopping is a big thing nowadays, and also sexual behavior. You have often sexual promiscuity, risky sexual activities, infidelity, these kind of occurrences. Uh, also loss of social inhibitions that contribute, of course, to that uh, sexual behavior, racing thoughts, and pressure speech. The speech is constantly very fast and very compelling. They are very talkative. The duration is normally a week or more, and uh, they often battle to maintain attention. So even if they have very grandiose plans, they very seldom implement them because their attention is not keeping focused on these plans. Distractibility and occasionally perceptual disorder. Some people mention that the color seems to be more vivid, more beautiful, for instance. An hypomanic episode that characterizes the bipolar 2 is basically a lighter version of a manic episode. It has the same characteristics, but less intense. It does not result in psychosis, while a manic episode can occasionally become a psychotic episode. They don't normally conduce to work impairment, while a full-on manic episode often uh, prevents people from going about their normal daily functioning and doesn't require hospitalization. Many episodes often require hospitalization to protect the person and others. However, there is an observable change in mood and uh, uh, normal functioning. The duration of a manic episode is four days or more. People feel euphoric, have lots of plans that they may sometimes implement. Uh, talk a lot, spend money, behave in sexually inappropriate ways, feel grandiose and self-important. They think they can conquer the world. Uh, in both cases, for manic and hypomanic episodes, it's important to rule out the possibility that there is any substance abuse that can cause these episodes or also some medication-induced symptoms. For instance, thyroid medication can induce hypomanic episodes uh, if the dosage is too high. Appetite suppressant definitely do that. And some corticosteroids may also conduce to um, euphoric mood in some cases and definitely lack of sleep. So this is the picture. It's pretty much impossible to miss it when there are these manic episodes. The hypomanic may pass unobserved if people are not very aware of it. They just think, ah, oh, this person is happy, is euphoric, is good. Everything is all right, it's not. The irritability is often just mistaken for being full of nonsense and why are you so agitated, why are you so irritable and seldom people pay attention to the fact that it's actually a mood disorder. 
So many times it goes undiagnosed for many years if the manifestations are not extreme. You mentioned psychosis yes. that occurs during the manic episodes. Could you explain what that is? Psychosis is a loss of touch with reality. So when people are not in touch with reality, we say they are psychotic. They may or not have hallucinations, but they definitely uh, manifest features that are completely out of touch with reality. Uh, they are unrealistic. They are unreasonable. Uh, they are not uh, consistent with the normal functioning of this person. I remember, for instance, a lady who had a manic episode due to the combination of smoking weed with some uh, product that she was taking. She had a full-on psychotic manic episode and she lit a fire in the middle of a carpeted lounge. That is clearly a psychotic behavior. Mm. Do we know what causes the disorder? The causes are still very much debated, but there is definitely chemical imbalancement in the brain. And there are uh, neurotransmitters like noradrenaline, norepinephrine, serotonin and dopamine that are unbalanced. So uh, it's a physical imbalance. There are genetic predisposition factors. There is a familiarity of it. Consider that studies done on identical twins have shown that uh, if one twin is diagnosed with bipolar, there is 70% probabilities that the other one will be as well. So it's a quite strict con genetic component, quite uh, important genetic component. Uh, there is definitely a familiarity with parents and children. There are also studies that talk about loss or damage of cells in the hippocampus. That is a part of the brain that presides to the recall of memory, but also affects mood and uh, impulse control. So damages to that part of the brain can also cause bipolar. There are other studies that talk about mitochondrial problems. The mitochondria are the respiratory organs of the cells. They are the ones that produce the energy of the cell. And malfunctioning of these mitochondria also seems to contribute. There are then uh, definite lifestyle components to these, like stress, especially prolonged stress, like family difficulties, a hostile family environment, uh, an abusive relationship, or continuous prolonged financial stress may cause alterations in neurotransmitters. Menopause seems to be an aggravating factor. We all know that menopause is associated with a major incidence of depression. So sometimes it may influence also bipolar and may make a bipolar disorder come evident. Uh, like people who suffer from uh, bipolar disorder, uh, I have often episodes triggered by PMS, premenstrual syndrome. So the hormonal levels have a definite impact on these things. They are not causes, but they are triggers. Uh, definitely, abuse of substances, alcohol abuse, 
can conduce to bipolar. Lack of sleep, chronic lack of sleep, seems to be a contributing factor. Physical or sexual abuse in childhood is a definite component of it. Deep grief, loss of loved ones, people who have lost maybe more than a family member uh, that can't get out of that state of grief. Physical illness at times, they are all contributing factors. I cannot stress enough how important the role of substance abuse is. People think that if they have taken drugs in their youth and they are still alive, everything is fine, but they don't realize the impact that that may have had on their mental health. People may be on antidepressants for the rest of their lives or on psychiatric medications for the rest of their lives as a consequence of, consequence of drug abuse. You mentioned that hospitalization may become necessary. Could you talk about this a little? Yes, when there are sometimes depressive episodes require hospitalization because they are so intense that the person is incapable to function in any way, is even catatonic. Or manic episodes can uh, require hospitalization because people may engage in such risky activities that they are a danger to themselves and to others. So that's when hospitalization is required and antipsychotic medications have to be used. Now, can bipolar disorder be cured? I don't think it can be cured, it can be managed. It's uh, pretty good, the management that we have with psychiatric medications with the combined use of antidepressants and mood stabilizers from lithium to epileptic, anti-epileptic drugs. And often antipsychotic drugs are used either to calm down and help sleeping or uh, to stabilize the mood in doses that are lower than the ones used to treat a psychotic episode. Yeah, my next question was how it is treated. So you have now spoken about medicine. Yes. What else is important? Beside the medications, it's important the lifestyle. It's important to abstain to subs from substances, from alcohol, to have a healthy daily routine, to have a regular cycle of sleep and uh, awake time, to eat healthily, there are now uh, several nutritionists and dietitians who are specializing in diets for mental health. So that is something to really look into if one uh, wants to conduct a better life and manage this disorder efficiently. Um, the other thing, of course, is therapy. Therapy is important, it's very useful. How do you approach the disorder in your practice? First of all, taking a very detailed history uh, so that you can see if there is any history of abuse, of trauma, in which case these things have to be addressed initially. And then addressing the symptoms of the depressive or manic episodes and trying to teach skills as well to deal with them in a more functional way, in a better way. BWRT here is very useful 
maybe I should say what BWRT is. Yes, please do. Uh, BWRT is a form of neurotherapy and is extremely effective because it addresses the brain directly. There is a part of our brain that is called uh, the laser brain, the reptilian complex, that is the one that takes into consideration any situation as we encounter it and scans for patterns that remind the person of previous experiences. Now, the only goal of the reptilian complex is ensuring survival. So, if, for instance, we had a certain experience and we had a reaction that was painful, unpleasant and dysfunctional, like a panic attack, for instance, but we are still alive, for the reptilian complex, that response will be considered good because it's functional to its goal. So it will trigger another panic attack. What you can do with BWRT is to create new neural pathways that replace that dysfunctional response at the level of the reptilian complex so that the reptilian complex can, in future, find a more functional response to replace the original dysfunctional response and create a better pattern of behavior, of reaction, and a better outcome of the situation. And it's amazingly useful in therapy to do this because there are so many things that cannot be controlled at a cognitive level. Uh, There is a gap between the moment where the decision is made at the level of the reptilian complex, that is, for instance, where the fight or flight response takes place, and the moment we become aware of that response. There is a third or a half a second of delay because there are about 50 meters of neural pathways to go through. So in the moment we become aware of that reaction, it's too late to change it. The body has already been primed for that reaction. Adrenaline has been secreted, cortisol has been secreted, and the body is primed for that reaction or fight or flight or an attack of anxiety or whatever other reaction that is not functional. So we cannot stop it just by becoming aware of the fact that that reaction is not ideal. It's really not sufficient. Only acting at the level of the reptilian complex, we can change these responses. And that is exactly what BWRT does. And it produces amazing changes in a very short period of time without needing at times to go through all the speculations about childhood and parental roles and where does this come from. Um, once you have the basic history of the person, you can aim at correcting the dysfunctional behaviors with BWRT without having to explore too much longer. So therapy is not something that lasts for years, it's something that can be actually faced, afforded and concluded in quite a reasonable period of time. When we are talking about bipolar, People normally need some maintenance. 
so you may have a period of therapy that is more intense where you deal with all the trauma, the possible abuse, all this situation that may have occurred in the past, and then you try to teach better responses to depressive episodes and to manic or hypomanic episodes so that uh, the person can manage them better and face them better and become more aware of them as well. But then sometimes you need to come back here and there when there is maybe a trigger, when there is something that has uh, triggered an episode again and uh, a bit more of intervention is needed. So if I listen to you, it seems to me that a person might come to you with bipolar disorder and what you will do on the one hand is look at trauma they may have had in the past and diffuse that trauma by means of BWRT. Could you mention one example of what trauma could constitute trauma can be something that happened in the family when the person was uh, a child can be seeing violent fights between the parents for instance can be I've seen so many times attempts of suicide of a parent Um, can be sexual abuse can be physical abuse, can be a parent that I heard yesterday of somebody that had a father who was giving them a hiding every morning before school just in case they behave badly. So (laughs) the hiding was supposed to be preventative. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't think it works too well. (laughs) But all these things constitute trauma. At times, uh, there are things that have happened uh, more recently. Having an alcoholic parent is a form of trauma because of what a child or a teenager is exposed to. Uh, Having to take care of the parents because they are unable to take care of themselves. Doing all these kind of things. There are traumas that come in adult life from relationships. Abusive relationships, relationships where one is constantly belittled, for instance, constantly criticized, constitute trauma. There are so many things, of course, victim of crime, uh, having seen a scene of an accident can be a trauma, having been uh, in a situation that represented a danger for one's life is always traumatic. But what is more insidious is the emotional trauma that can occur in childhood and in adult life, being bullied at school, being bullied in the workplace. Many times people have recurring nightmares about a boss or a co-worker for years and years and years, or from a teacher. There are so many possibilities of trauma. So to make it practical, you mentioned the person whose father gave them a hiding every morning. Mm. So what you will do with BWRT is that the person, uh, I'm not sure which word to use, will will recall that trauma Mm -hmm. and then you will work with it. So in future, if the person is reminded of that trauma, it doesn't put them into fight or flight. Exactly. So they will remember that that happened. But it will be emotionally neutral. It will not be 
So uh, triggering for them, it will not get them automatically in that fight or flight response, in that I'm in danger kind of situation. So the emotional consequences of the trauma get eliminated. So you work with a patient to find out which are the most important instances of trauma that still affect them? Yes. Sometimes people think that something that happened a long time ago doesn't affect them, but then it's amazing to see how intense is the reaction when you work at it. Sometimes people tell you, I don't know, many times women tell you they had an abortion when they were teenagers. And they think, no, but I've forgotten about it. It doesn't bother me. And when you work on it, the tears come out. One thing has to be said that with BWRT, you don't dwell in the traumatic situation. You stay there just for an instant and then it's gone. You don't have to recall everything about the trauma and go through all the details and repeat it and talk about it over and over again. So it's significantly better uh, also for severe trauma uh, in the sense that one doesn't risk being re-traumatized. And if I understand correctly, then there's also a protocol if a patient doesn't want to talk about what happened. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can work on something without the person absolutely mentioning it. Hmm. It's very possible. It's possible to work on memories that are not detailed, when there is just a feeling that something happened, for instance, but the person cannot recall, which is extremely useful in cases of sexual abuse in early childhood. Many times people know that something happened, but they cannot recover the complete memory, the detailed memory. And you can work with that as well. What are the outcomes you see with patients who have bipolar disorder? Very good management, very consistent remission, excellent outcome with BWRT, I must say, mm -hmm. uh, really excellent. Of course, the medications must be right as well, and many times they need to be changed, they need to be tweaked, they need to be so a psychiatric. Uh, presence is always essential. There must be a psychiatrist who prescribes the medication that is competent and able to give the correct amount of medication, the correct quality of medication. That is important as well. But the association with medical treatment, with pharmacological treatment and therapy is excellent and the prognosis is very good. Yeah, and as you said, uh, the patients may come back from time to time. Yes. But do you find that they can live a fully independent life? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can go about their business. They can have successful careers, successful marriages, raise children. Everything is fine. It's possible to live a perfectly fine life. It, I think people will be surprised to know how many people they know and they never suspected anything of actually being diagnosed as bipolar. Yeah, and then these people have the correct medication therapy and they look at their lifestyle and yes. they are aware of triggers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The triggers are very important. Elisa, do you see children with bipolar disorder? 
No, because bipolar disorder cannot be diagnosed in childhood. One may have some suspicion, but it shouldn't be officially diagnosed before the age of 18. Many people have the first manic or hypomanic episode by the age of 15 or so. Uh, the medium age is between 20 and 24 when it manifests itself. But there are also cases where people have a consistent major depressive disorder and then suddenly they have a manic episode in their 50s or 60s or 70s. Uh, many times it's not so easy to see. So they may have never been treated as bipolar, but they will develop a manic episode at some time, some stage in their life. But usually the most common situation is having the first episodes in early youth. Now let's talk about the partners or the other family members of individuals with bipolar disorder. How does the condition affect these family members? Well, it, if it is uncontrolled and not managed properly, it can affect people around the patient in a very severe way. They can be outbursts of anger with constant irritability, reactions to very small triggers and situations that have no great relevance for others that are exaggerated. So it may be very difficult to live with a bipolar person who is not managed properly. So the first thing to take into consideration is educating oneself about it, knowing what the disease entails and what, uh, what happens and what are the opportunity. Uh, to manage it and to take care of the condition in an adequate way. Is there anything else that these people can do to support their absolutely, loved one? Absolutely, absolutely. Encourage treatment, first of all. Many times are family members or spouses who pick up certain situations that the person is not really aware of. They tell them, but you were in this way, you had these elated mood, this euphoric mood that lasted for a week, for instance, and uh, you went on a spending spree and you did all these things and that is not normal. And the person may just have taken it into the stride and not felt the uncomfortability of it. So collateral information is always very, very useful. Uh, spouses always pick up on the irritability and the agitation, obviously. It can be also quite traumatizing for people at times, for people around the bipolar person. But if the treatment is correct, if the management is appropriate, then one just has to be a little bit understanding. Having educated oneself about the disease, it's possible to also have a bit more patience and understand things and accept things that one cannot change. Accept that people cannot just nap out of it. They cannot just stop their nonsense. It's not something that is within their control. But of course, that is possible only if one is informed in an adequate way about the condition. Then other things are, of course, reducing stress. So making sure to have a quiet environment, often having uh, regular uh, times where one can be in nature, 
nature is a great healer is absolutely wonderful for all kind of mental health challenges and uh, also having as i said before a very set routine having a regular routine for sleep and wake having regular meals having good nutrition and good mental hygiene in the sense of not using any psychotropic substances that can change your mood and also avoiding overstimulation. People with bipolar don't react well to crowds, to overcrowded places, places with lots of noise, lots of lights, these kind of things. So trying to avoid these places may be very useful. It's also important for family members not to try to rescue the person with bipolar. Nobody can be rescued. It's important to be aware of one's limits and understand that one has also to look after oneself. Uh, You can't just say, ah, well, uh, he's bipolar, so I will do everything and I sacrifice myself. Sooner or later, this will crash. Uh, It will get to a point where one can't do it anymore. So it's important to do self-care as well and to call on professionals for help, not trying to be the therapist or the doctor, encouraging the person with the condition to go and see their therapist, go and see their psychiatrist. If they notice anything, doing it with kindness. There is to consider that people with this condition often, often feel that they are a burden to their family. So being understanding of this, trying not to make it feel in that way too much is important. And also not saying, ah, you just keep quiet, you're crazy. Uh, Stigmatizing them is very dangerous and very counterproductive. And uh, also it's important to remember that this person and the relationship that one has with this person is more than just the illness. So don't let the illness consume your life. Don't let it be everything. Talk about it all the time and so on. Examine also the person and the relationship independently from the illness. And always try to keep positive. Always underline the positive aspects and be hopeful. Always talk about better things to come. Yes, I think there are quite a few practical tips that you've included there. And it sounds to me as if you should respect the independence of the person and then your own independence so you can have a life on your own. Yes, having a life of one's own is very important. And taking good care of oneself, which means encouraging other relationships in terms of friendships and family relations, And if, for instance, the person with the bipolar condition is not keen to see the friends or the family or what, go on your own. Uh, Don't allow the illness to consume you in that way and saying, no, because this person is ill, then I can't see my friends, I can't spend time with my family. Do it on your own. Absolutely. I was thinking that the loved ones also need support. Yes. 
and was wondering if BWRT can help family members Definitely. deal with this experience. Definitely, because there are always, especially before the condition is diagnosed, there are often situations that can have been emotionally traumatic. There can be moments where this person has lost their cool and shouted and screamed and said words that they didn't mean and things like that, and this can constitute trauma. So it's useful to deal with it and uh, be able to uh, heal from that trauma. So it definitely helps to manage it. I still wanted to ask you how you came to brain working recursive therapy. Well, quite honestly, by chance. I've been in practice for 40 years and about six years ago I received an email uh, about a course for CPD points and we all need these continuous professional development points. The story that was narrated in this email sounded interesting and I thought, why not? Let's try this thing. And I must be honest, I approached that with a bit of skepticism and I was completely blown away. Completely blown away. I thought, how can something so simple be so magical? And then I started using it and it works amazingly well. The results that I have had, the gratification and satisfaction that I have had, uh, of seeing people changing their life around completely and healing from horrible traumas and overcoming paralyzing anxiety or OCD, children flourishing after having had a great loss in their life. Uh, amazing things, absolutely amazing things. People that are suicidal in a session walk out feeling positive and hopeful. It's amazing what it can do. And I'm using it every day, all the time. I'm using it with everybody. It's absolutely wonderful. It's an amazing tool, amazing technique. Where can listeners find more information about your work? Well, my publications were done many years ago and they are in Italian, unfortunately. I have written some articles for magazines that are scattered here and there. I have presented at BWRT Congress, but that is not accessible to the public. Uh, I have a website uh, and I have a Facebook page. My Facebook page is Dr. Elisa Mikko, clinical psychologist. And my website is www.elisa-mikko. Dot com. There aren't really articles published there. I'm too busy seeing patients <laughs> to write too much. So. Yes, and as you say, your work is in Italian and you trained in Switzerland. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've written in French and in Italian. <laughs> yes. Uh, we will add the link of your website to this podcast. Okay. Now, Elisa, please, your three best tips for a better life. Okay, there are very simple things, probably things that people have heard already, but I think they are essential to live a better quality of life. First of all, be grateful. People get so lost in 
complaining about every little thing that is not good in their life, that is not going their way, and they forget to look at how much we actually have, how privileged the majority of us is if we compare ourselves not only with the population of our country but of the world. We are so lucky and there are so many things that we have to be grateful for, for the relationships that we have, for the beautiful weather, for the nature that surrounds us, for the fact that we have regular meals, for the fact that we are healthy. There is so much, so much beauty and so much gratitude that one has to practice. One good thing is to write down every day five things that you're grateful about and then be present, be mindful, be in the moment. People many times ruin their life by thinking about what they are missing while they are living another experience. Be in that moment. Make the best out of that moment, of that experience. Be in the present and be mindful of what surrounds you. Be in that moment and be positive. There is no use to have negative expectations. Things unfortunately happen. And when they happen, we deal with them. Worrying about them before and being negative and being uh, afraid of the future is just a way to poison your present life. Live in the present and be positive. Another important point is letting go of all the resentments of the past. We have all been done wrong. We have all been treated unfairly. Something went wrong. We may have lost a loved one. We may have had an illness that other people never will have. We may have had so many other things happening in our life. We may have lost jobs unfairly. We may have had financial difficulties because of the doing of other people. It's gone. It happened. We can't change the past. And keeping on dwelling in it just makes your life impossible. Accept it and move on. Just let go. If somebody has done you wrong, forgive them, let them go. It's not an acceptance and a forgiveness that you do to let them off the hook. It's because you don't want to carry that resentment. You don't want to carry that anger. So let go of it. And by the way, BWRT can help a lot in doing this as well, in accepting things and in letting go of anger and resentment. And finally, be true to yourself. Be who you are. Be absolutely who you are. And set clear and firm boundaries for others so that you will never be in a position where you have to Compromise who you really are. Be sure that you are your own person and that you respect yourself and you're true to yourself. Don't ever allow anybody to make you betray yourself and betray your values. Thank you. Now, your fun question. Oh, yes. Mm. Go for it. I know you work long hours and yes. often on Saturdays as well. So yes. I think Sundays must be special to you. Oh, yes. If you could describe your Sundays as a color, which color would they be? Orange. 
bright orange, beautiful, sunny, warm orange. I tend to spend Sundays with my family, my dogs, my grandchildren. So absolutely orange. Thank you. It's a happy color. Yeah. Thanks for your presence and your expertise. To our listeners, thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneiman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneiman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.